2: Welcome to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme with John O'Connor. First of all, a very happy and prosperous 2023 to all of our listeners. Later in the programme, the controversial Residential Zoned Land Tax deadline, 1st of January 2023. Positive Farmers Conference, additional information to hand. The IFA Environmental and Rural Development Committee Chair Paul O'Brien on Smart Farming and the Environment. But first, Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmer's Association national president, Mr. Dermot Keller, outlines funding which could help preserve sector enterprises in our country. Fifteen
3: billion over it about agri-food exports out of this country. And when this country went down the, went down the tubes, when the thing the country crashed, we shoved the agricultural exports from ten billion to over, over fourteen and a half at the time, or something. I mean, we kept the country take you over and like agriculture is always want to be important in this country but you have a lot of people jumping up and down and you have a lot of people with their own agendas having one apart from us and they're blaming climate change. Now there is 125 uh, b- b- billion to be spent in this country between new money and old money from here to 20 to 30 to get us to our our targets. Well if they're saying the Ireland is 30% of the, the, the problem well Logically, we should get some bit of the money. You no, know, we don't want 30% of the money. What we did are costing. You no, know, we we did this for the step plan and the, We didn't get to be hearing as, as as it, but what we're talking about is 250 million a year for the seven years. That are left, which is roughly one and a half percent of the money that that's, that they're talking about spending. But when we're thinking about it, John, there's a hundred thousand dry stock farmers. The hundred and twenty thousand farmers in total. And we're supposed to do five point seven megaton carbon emission decrease. Which is seven point something is for the, the energy sector. Now the ESP are spending like a billion a year, but that will be divided over three and a half million customers. So the hundred thousand farmers are supposed to do the same heavy lifting as three and a half million the whole population. They were going to grant grand- them a million electric cars, grant grand- them in the volume, in the BRT, and in the, v- 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 in the VAT. And they think that 100,000 sector farmers, or 100,000 farmers, 120,000 farmers in t- total, will do the same heavy lifting as a million people buying electric cars. Farmers have been asked to do an awful lot, because there's not a lot, of, not a lot of us there compared to others, the other sections. But we, we worked it out. What they're talking about is, Calving cows a bit earlier, killing cattle a bit younger, is it may be helped to our emissions. But what, a, what a lot of more to admit, John, there's the same amount of animals in this country that was there 50 years ago. If, farmers, if they want farmers to kill cattle younger, and they want cows to calf earlier, and they want us to t- tidy up their um, calving in, in, in interval, less cows walking on own and so on, and to be more e- efficient and more re- resilient, we're all in favour of that. But to do that, we need money. So we're talking about £250 million in total a year for the next seven years. That's including helping us to set red clover, which is fantastic for society, and you don't need fertiliser, and so on and so forth. And we, we, have, we, we have that list given to the, the, the minister and, and, and his officials. Worldwide demand for beef is increasing at a fast, very fast rate. We're one of the most efficient producers of meat in this country. So there is a great outlook for this country producing f- food, safe food produced in a very climate-friendly type, type, type of way. So I think there is, every business can be successful if everyone takes, plays their part. The processors processes in this country, they must all play their part. Farmers cannot be expected to walk for nothing. Farmers can't produce lamb or beef or ideas for nothing anymore.
2: Mr. Dermot Keller, ICSA Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association National President. Thank you Dermot very much indeed. From January the 1st, 2023, RZLT taxation will apply to farmland in areas zoned for residential use or other uses including residential. The IFA has been campaigning to have the January 1st deadline put back. Rosemary McDonagh, IFA Business Committee Chair.
4: Thank you very much for having me and RZLT stands for Residential Zone Land Tax. So this is a new tax that came in in the budget of, um, we'll say September, October 21. And it is a, a penal tax, we are saying, it's 3% of market value of the land that's zoned. So what we're finding at the moment there has been great talk about this since that budget time. But the maps, they've been published since the 1st of November in the county councils. So it seems the council councils are doing the zoning. And really our message was with two, twofold. One is to farmers that they need to check those maps. They need to check the county development plan in the towns, villages and cities to see if their lands are in scope for this tax. And then there is an opportunity between that 1st of November deadline and this 1st of January to make an application to the council to either get your lands removed from the zoning or get the zoning changed to a different status. Now, what we're finding on the ground is that it's only now some farmers are beginning to realise or figure out that they are caught up in this, are in scope for this tax. And there are many, many more, I'm sure, out there that have no idea in the world that they're going to be um, in scope for this tax. So to the government, we have been campaigning and um, driving it as hard as we can since November. And even back in September from the time of the budget, we have been pushing that we want farmed land exempt from this tax because the previous tax to this was one called a vacant site levy and there is a precedent set there where the there was an exemption for farm land so we want that to continue now in this tax now the other point we're lobbying for at this stage is that that date of the first of january needs to be pushed out there needs to be an extension because while it sounded like two months, first of all, Christmas is being taken out of it. And that holiday period, you're talking about maybe two, two weeks, whatever, of a quieter time. And then also, I think to make an application, two main things that are needed are your ordnance survey map and the title deeds. So if somebody needs to go and get that information, that could take some time as well. So we have a lot of issues with this tax. Uh, We have many, many farmers, the lines are hopping coming into IFA for the last couple of months, that there are so many farmers just finding out at this late stage that they are in scope for this tax and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with it, how they're going to do a submission to the council to get it exempted. And, you know, whether they will or not is another question. But our ask at this stage would be that the uh, timeline would be moved there would be more time given, and that farm land that's been used for food production and that has been in farm families for many, many generations, where that is the work or the income of those farms. That is a farm family we're talking about. And even these days, when you talk about food security, we need the farmers.
2: Now, Rosemary, of course, this has been spurred on by the widespread demand for housing. We know there's a housing crisis, so there is a feeling in the public, well, these are farmers who are going to sell their land and make a killing if they're in a good area. But in actual fact, what you are saying, the reality is, for those farmers who haven't yet realised the dangers, many have, but for those who haven't realised the dangers, they must get themselves out of this list, out of this residential zoned land tax, if they're not going to become speculators and sell their farms to mm-hmm. builders, a very worthy cause building houses. But for farmers, as you've said, who for generations and generations, people who managed to hold on to their land, Rosemary McDonagh, IFA Farm Business Chair, what you're saying, Rose, Mary, is make sure and take your name, have your name taken off this residential zone land tax register since 1st of November. There's a list there of who's included and who's not. So I think what you're saying is, for heaven's sake, make sure that you, as a farmer who intends to stay in farming and scrape out some kind of a living, that make sure you don't get burdened with a tax. to the false impression that you're going to sell your land and make a killing
4: absolutely totally agree there i mean we completely acknowledge we in ifa completely acknowledge that there is a housing crisis and that land has to be freed up for um housing and that housing has to be built but there are many other um lands that are marked for development at the moment that can be used we'll say brownfield sites or the towns and villages of many many you know, up the main street of towns and villages, where there are so many buildings at the moment that need to be rejuvenated and get back into the system. So our ask is that farmers who are farming, who have been there for generations, who are genuine farmers that are making a living from it, those are the farmers that we want exempt from this tax. Because if you think about it, this 3% of market value is actually very penal, and it massive in comparison to the income that those farmers would be getting from the land. Because if you look at it for the the market value or the development value, but it goes back to the point that the, the farmers didn't go in to meet the town. The town has come out to meet the farmers. And the farmers are not builders or speculators. All they want to do is farm their land, make a living, pass it on to the next generation and produce food, good quality Irish food. So there's another aspect of the tax that I suppose we're trying to make people aware of as well is that it's actually self-assessing. So instead of the um, county council uh, administering the previous vacant site levy, they're now talking about that this is going to be a self-assessing tax administered by revenue so that the onus is being put on the property owners to go and find out if your land is in scope for this tax and then you have to elect to pay it yourself. So that is, that's a huge part of it. So it goes back to the fact that farmed land has to be exempt.
2: I'm going to read a short excerpt from your Wednesday, December 14th, 2022 press release. You said, I had a farmer call me last week wondering about the tax. He only became aware of it when he was in his solicitor's office looking to transfer a part of the farm to his daughter. Mm-hmm. He didn't even know the land was zoned. Mm-hmm. There are many more farmers in the same position. It's incredible to think that local authorities aren't required to make mm-hmm. direct engagement with impacted landowners, let them know. It's all very well and good to say It's been publicised in the local paper and maps are in the local authority office. But if farmers don't think it applies to them, they won't do anything about it and by default end up with a tax for the next 20 years or God knows how long.
4: Exactly. And we have an issue with that because it seems whatever's in the legislation at the moment, the councils are just required to publish. So what they're doing is they're putting those maps up online and the onus is going back on the property owner. We have asked that... um, Whoever's administering this, be it the councils or revenue, these <clears throat> the, the owners of the property need to be um, told. They they need to be issued with letters. You know, they need to be notified that they are in scope for this tax. So that, that is something we have asked for as well. And we have raised it a political point But basically all, at the moment all they're saying to us is that all they have to do is publish. And I think that's extremely unfair because there will be so many people who will not realise that they're caught up in it. And then when it comes to the stage where you either want to sell that land or transfer it to the next generation, you will not be able to do so because the tax will have accumulated. And then they're also talking about interest penalty and charges. So I suppose what we have tried to do over the last while is to raise awareness of this, to try and get it into the you know, the scope of as many farmers as possible that they know this is coming down the line and they need to go and check out and see if they are caught up in it or if they're in scope first. And then also, if they want to make a submission to try and get their land removed from this sco- the scope of this tax. The, the main point is that for farmers who want to continue farming, who do not want to um, pay this tax, they need to get themselves removed from this zoning. So they have to either get their lands excluded, removed from the inclusion, or they have to try and get the status of the zoning change. Um, and that would be the best basic bit of news or information we could get out there to them. Well, they need to go into the county development plan of the area of the or the county that they are in. They need to drill down into it and see if they are in scope for this tax. And if they can figure it out from there, good and well. But if not, they need to go into the council office and have their folio number or their land parcel number and try and find out from the planning department there if they are in scope for this residential zoned land tax. And then if they are, they need to make an application to the council if they want to get their lands excluded from this residential zoned land tax. It's as simple as that. So they need to make an make an application, get it in there into the council. Um, because, I mean, while we would be lobbying and campaigning to try and get the date moved and try and get an exemption for farmed land, at the same time, we're working on one side of it, but the farmer, if he wants to get his land, you know, exempt from this tax, he needs to make his application to get them removed from the zoning. Now we have a lot of farmers as well who have called and, um, you know, one is telling the other to a certain degree. People, I suppose, it's word of mouth and that's what we've tried to do, create awareness. You know, we had a webinar there on IFA; It's been recorded. It's put up on the system, on the the IFA website so people can access that for information. We had um, legal advice and we had a planner on there as well. And that's the other thing. Some farmers have engaged the services of a planner to help them do this application to the council. You know, they're going that far to try and get the application done and in because it's hard to find the guidelines as to what exactly um, needs to go into that application. We know those two things, the ordinance survey map and the, you know, the title of the property. Give your website details. On the IFA website, that is the Irish Farmers Association So it would be www.ifa.ie. And once you get into it, you'll be able to find the different sectors there and you'll find the webinar and you can listen to it. There will be legal advice. There's planning advice. There's a lot of questions that were asked on the night. We had over two hours of work on the night. There's a load of questions. They're all recorded. They're all up there. There's different scenarios of questions that people asked. And that would be a good help to people as well to farmers who want to work on getting their land, you know, we'll say, excluded from this tax. You know, it is penal, it is severe, it will accumulate because they're talking about market value, you know, so that can be very different from agricultural value. So, and we have examples there as well of, in certain areas, we'll say, where there's something like, you know, over 200 acres of land outside of town zoned, but or something like only 10 acres is built a year, this particular farmer has 40, 45 acres of his farm caught up in it. So many acres that have to be built before they get to him. So he's asking the question, how many years is he going to have to pay this tax for? Sure, It, it could put him, out and put him out of business. He'll have to sell it. You know, he just will not be able to pay the tax.
2: Thank you very much indeed, Miss Rosemary McDonough, the IFA Farm Business Chair. The 2022 Positive Farmers Conference is taking place on Wednesday, January 11th and Thursday, January 12th at Radisson Blue Hotel, Little Island, just outside Cork City in the Middleton direction. Helping organise the conference, but also involved in the agri-media in various other aspects, Mr Aidan Brennan. Aidan, welcome to the programme. Now more about the Positive Farmers Conference and your involvement.
5: Yeah, thanks, John. So I'm, I my official title is the Dairy Editor of the Irish Farmer's Journal, so I'd be, I'd be writing the Dairy Articles and Journal, and then on the side then I give a hand organising the Positive Farmers Conference, which goes on every year, uh, usually on in January. So it's great to be back um, back in January and after a couple of years break due to COVID. So as you say, that, that event is on in January.
2: The name of the event, any particular theme, and location for a start?
5: Yeah, so it's the positive farmers conference. It's designed by farmers for farmers. Look, there's a particularly dairy slant on us usually, but but farmers from all different categories and sectors come. The theme this year really is streamlining your future, uh, and there's a lot of talk there and I'm becoming more resilient as farmers. And there's a lot of pressures in farming, particularly dairy farming, vis-a-vis the environment and and so forth. So we've we're, we've got great sessions on in terms of how dairy farmers can. I suppose can get visibility of some of these challenges coming down the line, but also, more importantly, what they can do in order to overcome them themselves and their own farm. So it's on in the Radisson Blue Hotel, which is in Little Island, just outside Cork City. So it's on, I suppose, it's on the eastern side of, of, of the city. Um, very easy to get asked there from the, 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 the roadworks that most people will be familiar near Dun Kettle. It'll be signposted for Little Island uh, on the Middleton side of Cork. Uh, very easy to get at
2: and it's on in the Radisson. And, in fact, whether people should register...
5: Yeah, so it's a two day event, um, the 11th and 12th of January, and definitely registration is essential. Uh, so they can, the best place to register is to log on to www.positivefarmers.ie and they get all the registration details there and, and indeed the, the full program for the two day event. They can stay overnight as well. It's a really good networking event with three or four hundred farmers attend every year. Uh, so tickets will run out fast. I'd encourage farmers and anyone interested in coming along for a great, informative two-day conference uh, to definitely people fairly.
2: One of the main things you'll be pointing out to farmers is, by way of reminder, that in any commodity, there's an ebb and flow in the prices and the supply. We know milk has been pretty good uh, in recent times. You're telling people never lose sight of the costs and the cost of the production of a litre of milk, depending on how skilled and progressive and up-to-date the farmer is in all types of technology.
5: Absolutely, John. And, I mean, as you said there, the, the, you know, milk prices have been historically very, very high for the last 12 months. So, currently, they're at a peak now of around 58 cents per litre, which is, you know, out of, out of the world in terms of where it is normally. We're normally talking in figures of, you know, the mid-30s has been a high milk price, so much higher than normal. The, the flip side of that, though, is that, you know, with cost inflation and the war in Ukraine and COVID and all the rest, input costs have gone very high as well. So the risk now that I see is that, you know, milk prices will fall, which is predicted to happen for next spring, but the input costs won't fall as quickly. And farmers could be in a really tight squeeze unless they take a really good, quick, you know, decisive decision on what they're going to do to reduce costs for 2023. So that's one of the things we want to discuss at the conference, how to become more resilient. Uh, For me, I think there's a big risk there, let alone all the other risks and challenges around the environment and labour and everything else. But, you know, being caught in a high-cost structure When milk price falls, it's a really risky place
2: to be. Volatility remains an aspect of milk production, and with this ebb and flow business, people are being told, keep your eye, you know, hawk-like on expenses, keep watching your expenses. And of course, against the background of the unknown quantity regarding the price of fertilizer, and inputs are going up, 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 it's all the more important to make sure that you're going to end up with some kind of a margin, regardless of... uh, the costs, but if you keep your eye on everything, watch everything.
5: Absolutely, yeah. and like we know, milk prices are going to fall. So commodity prices for for butter in particular has fallen. That whole milk powder has fallen also. So they're back on where they were at their peak. Now milk price to farmers usually lags that. So we know there is going to be a little bit of pressure on milk price next spring. Indications are that. From, you know, summertime onward, demand should pick up again, particularly in China, and you'd expect to see milk prices kind of settle down again or hopefully rise again. So we're not predicting a massive crash in milk price for next year, but they're definitely going to fall from where they are at the moment. And I think, you know, most people are expecting that now. But the, the trick here is to make sure you keep a handle on your costs. Very little you can do with some of these input costs, such as fertilizer and feed, but there are other things. I mean, in my analysis, I've seen overall costs per cow have increased by over 25% since 2016, and that's not including the costs in 2022, which went really high. So, all, you know, just because prices have been high for the last number of years, we've seen farmers maybe lose a little bit of discipline in terms of cost control, but I, the message from the Positive Farmers Conference is really we need to get this back now and we need to reinstill some of this discipline um, because there's a lot of uncertainty around prices industry into the future.
2: Now, with the Positive Farmers Conference taking place two days, Wednesday, 11th of January 2023 and Thursday, January 12th, 2023, the venue is Radisson Blue Hotel, Little Island, just outside Cork City, en route to Middleton in that direction.
5: Yeah, so the first session on day one is going to start around 9.30. Uh, so we ask people to be in before then. And that's the session on well, milk prices and the outlook for milk prices, as we've just discussed. Lee McCabe is an expert with with Board BIA. He's going to give his overview of where prices are looking for 2023. And then as part of that session, then we have Alice Stanton. She's a professor in the RCSI in Dublin, so a human uh, medical doctor. But her area of specialty is in terms of nutrition, human nutrition and the impact of dairy. Uh, On that, we've lots of talk about, you know, alternatives to milk in terms of um, vegan types of milks and, and oat milk and oat juices. So she's just going to dispel some of those myths around the nutritional value of some of those. I'm then speaking on resilient milk production, as I discussed around cost control. And then after that, then, afternoon, we have a session on the environment. So we have three speakers here. Darao Houliqan is a chaga specialist. He works in the area of um, biodiversity on farms. So he's going to say what best practice is in terms of hedgerow management, um, forestry, trees, all biodiversity. And then we've two other speakers. We have a farmer, Shane Fitzgerald from Waterford. He's going to speak about how he's managing his high output dairy farm to improve biodiversity. And also Eva Feeney, uh, who'd be very familiar to many of our of your listeners. Uh, she used to work with Carberry previously, and now she's working with the Dutch Embassy, but she's also going to give you know the the policy aspect to um to environment and improving biodiversity. Then in the afternoon session again we've two farmer speakers and farmers love hearing speakers, you know, farmers talking about their their own businesses. So we have two overseas speakers in this session. Uh, Blair Robinson is a farmer from New Zealand. He's coming all the way over for the conference. He's going to give a run through how he runs um, his multiple farm business with, you know, much larger size farms than we have. But the lessons, you know, he's learned along along the way. So the systems are the same only. The scale is slightly different. He, he's he, That could be a really interesting speaker on, on, on running large units and and I suppose the, the essentials to get right, whether you're making 50 cows or, or 5,000 cows, it's the same principle. And then we've Matthew Gunnville from Wales, he's going to speak about how he runs his success story to date, so he started with, with nothing and now he's running three dairy farms. So he's from Manchester originally, uh, not from a farming background, and, and yet has grown into business to become really successful and, 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 as I say, is now running three dairy farms. Uh, so that's, that's you know, day one in a nutshell and then in day two, the second day then, it's more streamlined farming, looking at multi-species boards and then a really important session, John, and something that we don't discuss probably enough in farming conferences, but is the impact of couples in farming. So typically a husband and wife, uh, but obviously there's different variations of that. And it's not always easy for maybe the female partner in that relationship because they're, in many cases, they're moving into a farm, moving into a new family, and also getting more and more involved in the business. So Marion Beecher is a researcher in Chagas, and and she's working in this whole area around uh, integrating couples into the businesses. And um, she's carried out a survey last year on, on, I suppose, some of the interactions that some of the female couples have had. And, uh, look, really interesting topics there for discussion. And we've we've Andrew Clare Claire Brewer, a dairy farming couple, going to give their story of how they found, uh, you know, what works well for them, if you want. But that's the session that, that, you know, it's an area that, that probably needs more work and more of a focus on because not all they're not all success stories, you know, sadly. And um, there's some lessons, I think, for all couples and for all farmers to, to hear there. So that's on in the afternoon of day two. Conor Galvin, the CEO of Airy Gold, is due to speak on the, on, on, day, on day one, the first opening session. So everyone will be uh, really interested to hear Conor has to say. Positive Farmers Conference. It's on in the Radisson Blue Hotel, which is in Little Island, just outside Cork City. It's on the 11th and 12th of January and the best place to get your tickets is to log on to www.positivefarmers.ie and the tickets and the schedule is available to, to view there. The first session is on at half nine on the on, on Wednesday, 11th of January and I look forward to seeing as many um, people there as possible.
2: So thank you very much indeed, Mr Aidan Brennan from the Irish Farmers Journal and also associated with organising and helping with the Positive Farmers Conference. Aidan, thank you very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thanks, John. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, we have the IFA Environment Chair and Smart Farming Programme Leader, Mr Paul O'Brien. First of all, Paul, welcome to the programme. Recently, you urged farmers to consider smart farming. Would you outline to our listeners some of the benefits of smart farming, what kind of equipment they would need? And, indeed, later in our conversation, you would point to some of the areas that your programme would cover anaerobic digesters and um, renewable energy, solar energy, etc. But first of all, smart farming and ag tech as a means of reducing farm inputs and cutting workloads.
6: John and all of your listeners um, in in your region. Okay, look, smart farming and it has been a progression over the last number of years. It's a collaboration between the IFA and also the EPA. And back in the day... About 2013-14, when this was started to be developed, there was a glaring kind of opportunity of a link up between the EPA and farmers. And so they approached the IFA and it was a program that was developed to see how we can make differences. The differences being is that how can we help the environment reduce, um, I suppose, potential emissions loss and improve water quality but also the core thing is to make savings at farm level. So it's a multiple benefits approach.
2: To avail of uh, the smart farming technology, what kind of equipment should they have? Must they have, for example, a smartphone to start with? And if they don't actually have a smartphone, perhaps when you point out how useful a smartphone can be, they'll make inquiries and uh, you know, learn how to operate one. You
6: know, effectively, you have a computer at your fingertips you know, um, and now with the ability to download apps and, you know, to give you a very, very good information source at your fingertips as you're walking around the farm, sitting on the tractor, um, you know, is able to do things for you to help you manage your farm. Um, So there's a number of very key things there that, you know, our, our smart farming and the first thing i'd say to you john is is that you know people should go on to the um IFA's website which is smartfarming.ie and that will give you a good idea of how this program works that you know but the very simplest form of this is if you have a smartphone you can download apps that will help you and your business to, you know, have core benefits. The core benefits is it will make life easier for you, um, but it was also track the inputs that you're using at farm level.
2: In terms of using a smartphone and smart farming, people can cut down on expenses, cut down on the cost of inputs and bring their enterprise nearer to being viable, or if it is viable, to increase the money in the farmer's pockets.
6: The beauty of having the apps that you can download you can put your fertiliser usage into it and it will give you a good idea of how much you're spreading.
2: IFA Environment Committee Chairman, Mr. Paul O'Brien. Paul, could you remind our listeners of some of the main targets of the IFA Environment Committee, all linked in, of course, to smart farming?
6: Okay, well, I think, John, there's five different areas of the Environmental and World Affairs Committee of the IFA that um, are workload. And look, obviously the big one at this particular moment in time, particularly when we listen to things like COP27 that's going on in Egypt, and we, you know, have a view now that we have to meet these targets that have been set legally binding by the government of a 25% reduction of um, emissions coming from the industry by 2030. Um, so, the environmental is a very, very big one, but um, that probably takes up about 50-60% of times of the workload of the environmental committee. Other parts of the committee's workload then are, are rural affairs, and that's a very broad range of issues. It's everything from planning applications that farmers put in to increase, um, you know, maybe some storage on their farm and problems that they might have in planning regulations or bits and pieces there. Also from rural development, uh, sorry, the rural affairs aspect of that is is that, you know, Every farmer at some time in the past has woken up one day, gone to do the herd, and, and they've seen rubbish thrown over the ditch into their land. That comes under our remit as well. So, you know, big concerns there, and um, thankfully it's not as bad. It seems to have been cleared up to a certain extent, but there are times, there are pockets where there's been a considerable amount, particularly after Christmas, seems to be a big point in the year where more and more um, I suppose dwellers, um, you know, have products um, that they don't want to get rid of or they don't, they're not prepared to pay to get them taken away. So they normally just try to, well, what they do then is they just go to a, uh, a field and throw them over and that's no not fair on the farmer because then that becomes the farmer's problem. Um, other stuff that we deal with, infrastructure, so motorways, greenways, um, you know, Those type of things now, the IFA negotiates on behalf of farmers with TII, with the electricity and air grid supplies, all of those people and all of those bodies, um, the Department of Transport, all of these, you know, to try to negotiate as good a deal as possible, working within codes of practice as well. Um, The renewables is going to be a very big area going forward. Part of the sectorial targets, um, renewables or energy has to reduce its footprint by 75% by the time we get to 2030. So a lot of work has been done in that area. Lots of companies are out there knocking on farmers' doors, looking to put up either ground-mounted farm-sized solar, looking for sites for wind power. So that's a very busy place. The IFA, we're very key on this now. We're trying to get micro generation, small scale, farm scale on rooftops of your milking parlour or your slatted sheds to develop electricity that stays within the farm and the farmhouse now. Key thing has changed now in the new roundup of the new TAMs going forward, which will allow electricity that's being produced on a farm, um, on your own kind of footprint of your farmyard to allow that to be used for the house as well so we start the brand new cap on the 1st of january there is the ability to farmers if they wish to be able to supply electricity to their own house from their farmyard so that's a very very positive development and as we said you know anaerobic digestion is going to be a big a big Involving industry over the next number of years, um, you know, farmers will have to be included at the very, very start of that process, where the feed ingredient for the anaerobic digester, slurries, grasses, maybe even crops, can be used at that point as well to help the process of anaerobic digestion. After the anaerobic digestion has done its job, then is the digestate that you know the the, the spent. Slowed that has the ability then to go be able to be brought back to be land spread without the harmful ammonia and methane emissions attributed back to that, but it also then has the ability to displace chemical fertilizer. So it's a very busy committee. It's a very active committee. There's a lot of policy direction has now been given to us because of the climate ambition of the state and the EU. And um, also, look, it's, it's just one of those things, John, that there's always something new on every single day in our committee.
2: Do you feel, as the IFA Environment Chair, that there is a very good future in farming? People can continue farming, and by implementing certain programmes, we solve the problems of the size of the national herd, the role of methane, etc., we find perhaps uh, under consideration the diet of cattle in the future will help reduce the methane emissions. And in that way, while we might not be able to increase the national herd, we would be able to make uh, current operations far more profitable and with a tighter operation be even more profitable. So, are you coming with? A positive message, because a lot of people will say water quality, the environment, it's going to rack and ruin, and agriculture is one of the culprits. But have you a positive message?
6: We have the most sustainable food production system. We can be positive in the sense that Ireland is still the best at producing milk in the EU. We're number five when it comes to producing beef. And we've always maintained the fact that we have to improve what we're doing. It goes back to our smart farming conversation at the start of the interview, but then we have to evolve. What we're doing, we have to improve and we have to be much better at it than we have done previously. That will mean accepting new technologies, improving our grassland management, reducing our amounts of ammonium nitrate fertilizers and bringing in protected urea, the use of low emission slowly spreading systems, but also everything on a farm it can be improved we need to make sure that the finger pointing from society is not directly pointed at farmers we have the ability to, to improve our environments We have the, but we also have the ability to produce food that other nations around the world look to very enviously we have a good credentials, we need to improve those credentials, our credentials stand up with any other food producing nation, we, we're good at what we do but we just need to be better need to be probably spreading a little bit less chemical fertilizer, we need to be spreading considerably more lime, but we also need to leave a bit for biodiversity and to make sure that when we're spreading our fertilizers, when we're spreading our slurries, when we're spreading when we're spraying our crops and our grasslands, that we're doing it in a safe, sustainable way. If that happens, water quality will improve. We are waiting technologies from people like Chogas, who have their fantastic signpost farm series. But then technologies are coming down the road, not as quick as we would like, but most certainly we do feel that there's most certainly a decent future in farming. The 8 billionth person was born in the, com- in the world over the last couple of days. By the time we get to 2050 there will be another 2 billion more people on the planet. So over 10 billion people, they need three meals a day. It's only sustainable agriculture has the ability to do that. You might need a doctor once a year or a solicitor once every five years or, or whatever, but you need a farmer three times a day. And we do have to improve our our, our production systems. I'm not going to try to deceive farmers. We have a duty of care to work with the environment to make sure that we're doing it on a very sustainable way. But most certainly, the world will need food. And the only people that are able to produce that are
2: farmers. The Ukraine and how fertiliser has become very expensive and uh, more scarce. But within the European Union, we hear there is a sort of monopoly situation still operating where fertiliser should be available far more cheaply, but it's not So we have to, at EU level, at the top level of EU and with the Irish government and the European Union in general, we have to understand what's needed to give farmers a fair deal and they will produce the food for these billions of people.
6: And I think you're right there, John, because, you know, there's always something that's challenging, but there's nothing that's been as challenging for us over the last number of years. Obviously, Covid was very, very difficult, but farming still had the ability to go on as usual. Everybody had food available. Just supermarket shelves were filled because farmers were able to work alone. They were able to, to the processors were able to go. And we got through that. But the Russian invasion of Ukraine back in February has really thrown a curveball that nobody was really expecting. Now, you can track the price of gas from the summer of 2021 all the way along and you could say okay then you know we've got ourselves into a situation where we're very dependent on Russia for our energy now we have to in some way become more secure as ourselves goes back to the point sustainability if a farm has the ability to produce electricity themselves up from the rooftop solar, that's fantastic. But when it comes to fertilizer, we do have a problem. We have no manufacturing in Ireland ourselves anymore. So we've allowed our, um, you know, our companies to go. Um, where, you know, there was many, many companies, that, a few companies out there that were producing fertilizer, but they have now gone. Now we're kind of at the sort of the, in the middle of a supply chain. It's difficult for everybody, if everybody's looking for the same product on the same day, that's going to have a problem. But the reality is is that, you know, the industry needs to work with farmers, the farmers need to work with the government, the government needs to work with the EU to make sure that supplies are available. Um, we are going into a winter, as we know. There are going to be problems with um, supply of energy going forward. Gas supplies are not always guaranteed. If you government, you might say, well, OK, then the priority is to make sure that we have enough gas to make sure that the lights turn on and the nursing homes and schools and hospitals have, you know, energy and heat before it goes to fertilizer. But there needs to be a balance here because we do need food. Um, and as a result of that, you know, we need to be a part of the conversation. Now, it all came as a big shock last March when we realized energy was going to be Weaponized by the the Russians effectively. And as a result of that, you know, we need to start thinking longer term. The price of fertiliser is disproportionately too high to what we're we're receiving back in our farm gate prices. So there needs to be a balancing. We can look at the price of beef and we can look at the price of dairy and we can look at the price of corn and, and, and sheep meats and all of these to say that, okay, what we've had is a commodity shock now we need to maintain a margin over the price of those commodities that we have to pay for in order to still have a viable income going forward so john there's a lot of very very strange things happened in the world but i suppose it's the job of the ifa to always be pushing asking the eu commission asking our government asking industry as well can more be done to reduce the price of these inputs to allow farmers to be able to produce food and to also maintain a viable living on farms.
2: And reduce the emissions. So thank you very much indeed, IFA Environment Chair and Smart Farming Programme leader, Mr Paul O'Brien. Thank you, Paul. And I hope our listeners can draw something positive from our conversation because some people will recollect that in the year 2008 and 2009, when the financial crash came, well, agriculture was there worth eight or nine billion euros. So, agriculture is the most important industry we have and very important people wouldn't glibly decide to chop down herd numbers and uh, stop production and go into the environment. But, Paul, your words there will bring encouragement to many people. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks a million, Paul. You're very welcome. And that's Farm Talk for now. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks for listening and a very happy and prosperous New Year 2023, to all of our listeners and contributors.